Welcome to Moving Target, my Rockfin exclusive. Joining me today is Richard Grove from Grand Theft World, as well as TragedyAndHope.com and his evergreen podcast, Peace and Revolution podcast. Joining me today to discuss his work, what he's focused on, what he sees as most important in the dumpster fire of, of news that we have today, as well as a couple of different things we might get into in the current events. And also his recent censorship was actually re- the reason I reached out in the first place. And we've discussed a few things in the past. How are you, Dave, Richard? Good to have you on. I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you for asking, Ryan. And thank you for the invitation to this uh, this new forum you've created. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and a great, nice sweatshirt, man. I, I like that. It looks good. <laughs> yeah, you got to support the teams. Got to <laughs> yeah. support the teams out there. I got more on the way. I got, uh, you know, I've got many colleagues such as yourself that uh, have an entrepreneurial flair and they make offers to the public. And I figure I got to wear a sweatshirt. It's kind of cool out today anyway. Why not wear something that uh, promotes freedom and liberty when I go outside? So that's how I roll. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Well, it's good to have you on, brother. Cause we had we had a really great conversation last time I was on your show. So I figured we could just jump into some some pretty interesting things. But I'd like to start off first, which is the reason, you know, this kind of podcast has been focused a little bit on the censorship aspect. So you were recently censored, right? And now I, I'd like you to get into that, but let people know kind of your history with this and, you know, how, how you, your evolution with the censorship, what you maybe first thought to where you see it today and, and what's been happening in, in, you know, specifically around Grand Theft World or really, I guess, just Richard Grove. What, what happened to you? Well, I've studied censorship for a better part of the last 20 years, and it's used in situations to silence dissent so they can bring in the bombers of propaganda and can, they can hit their targets without defenses, right? So uh, the critical thinking aspect being turned off um, is, a, is a huge part of what we're experiencing today. I like how you said dumpster fire. Right. Um, there's, there's, well, there's a whole history to how we got dumbed down to believe such things. Like, you know, I can't believe what we see in the news every day, man. Like, um, the, the former president being raided, like, I don't vote. I'm not political. I try as a historian not to dabble in current events, even though my current podcast does do that. I've always tried to let the dust settle and look back at, at history from, uh, what evidence and artifacts are available and you get perspectives that a lot of people they're not getting access to today. So um, the censorship aspect, I've had outposts on social media since these places started. So YouTube since 2009 or so I got off Google video and went over to YouTube uh, Twitter since like 2011. And I've maintained these outposts because I reflect truth to my audience, but I'm trying to educate them more than be snarky most of the time. And for Grand Theft World, we had another Twitter account that basically mirrored my Twitter account. And so when I would post, it would automatically post over at Grand Theft World. And so uh, our producer, uh, LD, was running all that and everything was going well. And then I got these notices that I made a tweet that was beyond the pale because I said something about the vaccines. Because you could talk about the masks. And I said something like, uh, I don't you know. Um, if the, my, if the masks were made by Moderna and Pfizer, you still wouldn't be allowed to talk to talk about them. And that didn't get me banned. Right. So I was testing the waters on these new, you know, deregulations of, you know, the decensorship area uh, where you can talk about these things that have happened for the past two years. So anyway, I, th- there was a tweet that said something to the effect of, uh, it was Rick DeSantis, governor of Florida. And he said the COVID vaccines were like uh, a failure or they were a lie or something like that. Right. So I just quote tweeted it and I put three facts and one was like Moderna in their SEC filings. They used the words gene therapy described their product. 
and I posted a couple other facts. And those facts, I guess, were too far ahead of the public narrative to be, you know, it's been two years, right? But still. So uh, I got locked out of my Twitter. I didn't notice. I don't use it that often. But LD got permanently banned on that whole Grand Theft World account. So, you know, uh, good. I bet you could have just quoted him, like literally just quoted him. Right. That would be acceptable. You can't add knowledge. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the only other times I'd gotten flagged in the past was because I was pointing out knowledge from a study or something like that. And it's like if you share the article, it's one thing. But if you point out information or highlight it or, you know, I would like, you know, put a little red circle around and be like, look at page 42 right here. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had like tripped up their uh, their yeah. censorship grenades before. Here's a couple interesting things, though. There's different ways to look at it on one side of it. You know, you like it's all the way that they perceive your intentions, which is so yes. ridiculous, right? Because if you were somebody that like a, a known pro vaccine account and all you did was quote DeSantis saying that they would be like, well, clearly he, they're saying, look how dumb this is or whatever that would be allowed to stay. But if you did it or somebody else, they would, you know, even if you're just quoting it and saying DeSantis just said this, which he did, that's, I don't know how that's uncensorable, but they would censor it because that statement's not allowed, right? And it shows you that it has nothing to do with what it means, what the background is, the facts. You, if they perceive you to be having a certain agenda, like I always do the whole wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing. It's like, here's what Trump thinks. See, it's what he means when he says this word. It's like, you can't play that childish game, but that's where we are, you know? And I think the other part of it is that, you know, when you're breaking down the facts, and I love that you said that, the head of the public narrative. Because, you know, we're in this game where we're dealing with this every day, where you know these things have been proven. Like, what's even funny is throughout the COVID narrative, we're seeing things bubble back up that people like us were shoving through the cracks early on. You know, look at what, you know, uh, the CEO of Pfizer said in 2020. And well, now health. here's the grant, you know, requests and s- submissions and approvals. Like, they're still doing business with, with Fauci up to 2024, 2025, but that's ahead of the narrative. You got to wait till next year to find that out. Right. But I mean, you're right. But I mean, more so in the context of like, you know, he admitted, let's say this thing doesn't work properly or the one where he says, you know, I wasn't really sold on the mRNA, but they convinced me. He said that in like 2021. And so now it's bubbling back up as look what he just said, because the narrative is falling apart. And that kind of ha- everyone goes, oh, my God, it's a huge story. And it's like, well, it's taken out of context. It's an older video. But the point is that it's amazing that these things get allowed to be discussed at some point along. So, I mean, you, you comment on that for me. Why is that happening? Like, why are they allowing like the lab leak? Why did that spin? Like, why are we allowed? Because I think all of it's just misdirection while they reappropriate everyone's wealth through the biggest grab in history called the great reset. Mm -hmm. So all these other little like Trump raid, or did he have classified documents and he's selling them like all that stuff, just fog. And that's not the thing that's going on. There's an iceberg heading toward us. And uh, those of us who go up in the crow's nest and we look out to try to see things before, the, you know, other people have them on their radar. I mean, that's that's our job. So it's not a big deal that we see something a couple years ahead of time and then it trickles out like that's usually the process. Mm-hmm. Right. It starts with like you or Whitney Webb or somebody else. And then six months later, they'll make it out to like, you know, Tim Dillon or, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Dore. Someone mentions something. Right. And then like the big media will pick up on it six months after that. Right. So there's like a trickle down effect from the actual researchers muckraking, going in, doing investigative journalism and getting it out on our small outlets. And then it trickles up, you know, to, to people who see that fans in our audience mm-hmm. who might also be influencers or colleagues of ours, and they get it to a bigger platform. You know, ideas that we've talked about now, Russell Brand talks about those things to 5 million people a couple of years yeah. later. Right, right. And that's so interesting and which I, you know, perceive as a good thing. Right? I mean, I, you know, I, I'll even point out and say of all the people I would argue, I'm, I'm suspicious of anybody that's that high level doing this. But at the same point, 
he's doing good work. I mean, I watch I mean, some of the things he's really knocking down. I'm like, but then you wonder why is that being allowed? Why is that not? You know, we were doing similar things like a week ago and getting censored for it. You know, so it's really interesting and yeah, you know, you know, well, he's an approved outlet. Well, okay, so, so yeah. let's talk about that. What what's the difference then? Why is it okay? Go ahead. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, other than he uses his celebrity to organize ideas and get a bunch of people to think about these things, but he's not really sending out calls to action. He's mm-hmm. just getting people to, and that might be a convenient part of the narrative. Uh, they use both sides in the narrative to against each other, and it just might be like a, a time to have someone like him with a big platform, uh, you know, make it known in more obviousness uh, in shorter form than we do, right? Yeah, but that's it's interesting. I also well, have questions about like, um, uh, is he is is Russell Brand related to Lord Brand? Is what's what's the history of his family in Great Britain? And then you can kind of figure out what role he might be playing currently. You know, kind of like if you look at David the Rothschild and you don't know about family history, you're like, oh, there's a guy out there for the environment, or like his great uncle came up with his idea for Agenda 21 back in the 80s, and now he's just paying, playing his part in a family project. Right. Well, and that's and that's super it's incredibly important to understand the background and, you know, the connections to people. But I guess the point I guess the question would be. So let's just say there's an, a person out there who is only doing reporting, no action discussion, but is a genuine person. I do think there's a place for that. That's very necessary that never need that shouldn't be stopping that we should be poking at the narrative, exposing the reality, whether or not you're saying and here's what we should do next. So why is that different than a brand situation, you know, trust me, I'm on the same page with you. I'm just trying to feel this out. Cause it's interesting to see how that could be a trap. If he's really doing good work and, you know, really breaking down the information and showing people the lies and sometimes doing some stuff that's pretty ahead. But well, I mean, time, if I had to hypothesize on mm-hmm. something like that and I hadn't really considered it, so I'll just think openly, it could be like a limited hangout where people feel like after 15 minutes of one of his videos, they don't need to look into that thing anymore. And they're not necessarily as curious because he just told them about it. Right. So in the way that uh, schooling is a form of indoctrination and not uh, a method of understanding reality, mm-hmm. it, it could be like that. But I agree. Like I see what he's doing. It's useful. Most of the time he has communist slash socialist leanings, but he doesn't make his politics interfere with the telling of the, the news story. Right. And I find it ironic that it's guys like, you know, Jimmy Dore and Russell Brand and other comedians. Right. It started with like The Daily Show and Jon Stewart back 20 years ago. But these days it's like there's a lot more serious news being able to be said with the parhesia that it needs to have coming through comedians. You know, I I didn't used to hear the F word on the six o'clock news ever growing up. But now if I listen to Jimmy Dore, you bet your ass you'll hear it and you'll laugh, too. So it's like it's. I think it's a healthy mixture of getting informed as long as the person presenting actually has some news and research and they're just reporting on news stories. So it's not a whole lot of their individual research, but they're a facilitator of it. Yeah. And thank you for diving into that. You know, this just interesting thought, you know, and like it's this, I I always appreciate somebody that's willing to speak off the cuff and and get into some interesting topics. But, you know, overall, I think it comes down to for me that as long as you're questioning it, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't like it's corporate media. Like there's still still a value to look at what they're trying to tell you and influence you with as long as you can walk away going, I'm not blindly trusting what they're saying. That's the end, end point anywhere, you know? Well, there's two layers to it. Like you have to consider what they have to say, try it on, figure out where there's fact and fiction to be carried with you forward. But you also have to figure out what are what else aren't they telling you about that story or about the day's news 
that they right. got you focused right. on this one thing while these other important things happen. So I, I take their offers. I try to understand what their offerings are. But then I also ask, what aren't we being told? What contextual history is relevant to this history, the his, uh, situation to understand? Like, for instance, Ukraine. It didn't come out of nowhere. There's been certain parties in there fomenting artificial proxy war for a long time. That's much more interesting than anything they're allowed to tell you on nightly news. And it's slightly more interesting than what Jimmy Dore or Russell Brand have the capacity to tell you. Mm-hmm. And it really involves people being able to see that story and then say, oh, let's go let our fingers do the walking on the Internet and use it for our own betterment to find out what is the history of the 2004 orange revolution in ukraine or the 2014 you know ukraine on fire uh oliver stone documentary session that they covered where george soros was so instrumental in that you know with victoria newland and jeffrey pyatt and the transcripts of everything there's a lot there to dig into right but you're never going to see that on cable news yeah i agree i agree or or them for that matter and i you know i think that's whether that's a conscious choice or not i do think there's an effort to kind of dance a line where and you you see this in a, a lot of you know big independent outlets too, you know, where they kind of like are trying not to offend the normie audience. And that kind of allows, it stops that, you know, Let, yeah. let's, let's talk about the Trump part of this since you brought it up, because I find that to be really interesting. You made a point sure. there that, that I also find very, I, I personally feel that a lot of these stories, even if rooted in truth, even if Trump, look, let's put it this way before I even get into it. I obviously think that's unprecedented and unbelievable, whether or not even the things they're saying are true. The way that it was handled is incredible. I mean, but, but I do also agree that a part of it is feeling like I hate, I, I even hate just calling things distraction these days. Cause it seems like a catch all, you know, but it really does kind of feel like something that's being pushed out there that won't really come to fruition. Like we saw with the Clintons, right? Remember you remember the two, the, I forget their names, the guys from um, Boston that were presenting this stuff in front of Congress and they had just damning scathing evidence Nothing ever happens. So I kind of feel like that's where this is going. What are your thoughts on the point you made about it being distraction or fog? You said, well, let's just go. Let's let's build out a timeline of understanding. Right. Mm -hmm. In the late 90s, Bill Clinton, a Rhodes Scholar working for the Anglo-American establishment, said, make America great again. But he didn't make a campaign, hats, all this other stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. Trump takes that years later and makes it part of his uh, campaign theme. In between times, the Clintons attended Trump's wedding. So whether they were paid to be there for, you know, famousness or whatever, but they were there. They're kind of close, but they're not friends. Like Trump's not accepted in their society, mm-hmm. but he's a billionaire. 1991, uh, Trump got bailed out by Rothschild Inc., specifically Wilbur Ross, who became Trump's first commerce secretary. Reference for that is a Bloomberg article called Donald's Trump card or the Donald's Trump card. And you have to use a Wayback Machine to find it because they hide these things for some reason. So Trump's beside the establishment. He's not really with the United Nations Great Reset, like the whole globalist internationalist crew. I think he does love America. I think he is a nationalist. Um, and like I said, I haven't voted since 2004 because I learned how the system worked. And I was like, I don't want to participate in that system. So I can objectively see, you know, 2016 election when uh, the Democrats are crying that they lost and it was rigged and all this stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks and no big deal. Google had that crybaby meeting right afterwards where they're all teary eyed and they can't let it happen again. Uh, the Time Magazine article in the 2020 election where they said uh, cover story was like, you know, yeah, they did it. And they had to uh, like reinforce freedom by making sure Trump didn't get in the White House all the way up to like uh, 
Sam Harris and Zuckerberg talking about how they suppressed the, the Hunter Biden laptop story so that people didn't know and they couldn't make an informed decision. And then this guy with 81 million votes is running everything into the ground for the past 18 months. So amidst all of that, this Trump raid, A, who's doing it to Trump? Is it the whole FBI? Is it a coterie within the FBI? I would say it's a coterie, a grouping of people who have gone after him for Russia Gate and all PP dossier and all this other silly stuff over the years that never had any evidence to start with, yet they could get 50 intelligence directors to be like, yeah, it's Russian, right? Propaganda, the Russians helped to overthrow the election, these sort of things. Those are the same directors that said, uh, it didn't come from the Wuhan lab. Those are the same ones that said whatever about the thing recently, right? So there's a group of people willing to say whatever to protect this seed of globalist uh, new world orderness inside of our government. Where does Ray in your mind tie into that? What's that? And Sorry, I want you to keep going, but where does Ray in your mind tie into that as the as a Trump appointment? Okay, so that... All right. So Rand Paul had tweeted about, you know, Christopher Ray, this or that. And I said, you know, you need to understand the context. So I quote tweeted him and said, uh, useful context for, you know, what Rand is saying is that Trump appointed Christopher Ray. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't think, you know, when Trump gets in there, he surrounded himself with enemies. He's not like politically savvy within D.C. And so he doesn't know what clicks of people. So, yeah, it looks like he signed the line and appointed Ray, not understanding that Ray is part of for lack of a better term, the deep state, a group of internationalists in our government that are not elected and have been able to push a lot of good people out. If the, you know, if the government's going to exist, we would want good people who represent us there. And that hasn't been going on for like a hundred years. Quick, quick point yeah. this is the problem with the way our political system works. Our government is that you basically choose between maniac neocons and the maniac international globalist you know what i mean it's like and that's like because you you can talk about the pompeos and the boltons which i argue are on sure. the hardcore neocon mentality and yeah. that's the problem is you basically end up the the lesser of two evils i mean that's everywhere you look and the people well it's interesting to, to look at the meta arc of history right so the first third party in america is 1828 and it was the anti-masonic party and it was like john quincy adams and all these people sorting out secret society influence in our government the next major one is like late 1850s and it's the republican party created as an abolitionist party because the democratic party supported slavery supported the confederacy the banking element also supported the confederacy the british aspect also supported the confederacy this is why lincoln had to print his own greenbacks and this is also why lincoln gets assassinated like when the war ends so they can put their own guy back in the white house and move the money back through america get americans in debt they also had a problem right before the civil war the tangent a little bit real quick no, I love uh, in, in the right. 1840s, if you watch Aaron and Melissa Dyke's trust game, mm-hmm. they had a section in there around 1848 where American states were writing debt in their citizens' names and then uh, getting it from like Rothschild interests overseas. And then the American people were finding out, hey, your town just borrowed a bunch of money in your name and they refused the debt. So the banking class in Europe and England had to come up with a way to condition Americans to be saddled with credit and to be good on their debts because the Americans had uh, of the pioneer days had a very different um, look and per, like a different opinion on how to handle those things. So it was like the, the ruling class said, we're going to have to come up with a way to condition and indoctrinate these people to take the saddle and bit so that we can use them to leverage that country's wealth and plunder it. And they did from 1913. And now they've done a really good job of that. But um, 
So, yeah, so there's uh, a bunch of different instances through history that kind of reflect back to what's going on today. Did that completely answer your question or did my tangent? No, I mean, it, I, to be honest, I, I, I have a question to follow up on that. I, that's my favorite part about, you know, I love that's what I love from your work instead of the, the deep background. You know, what do you just what do you think on the same idea in regard to how and this is historically, I'm sure you agree, how this always works, where they have to, they see the next step. It's like the great reset today and have to justify it to themselves. They don't care what anybody thinks. They just try to manufacture the consent or make you want to go in that direction. So what are your thoughts on the transition from like a feudal state or like, you know, monarchies to democracy? I, I've always argued that that was simply, it's not like we had some golden age where we decided we're going to, I mean, kings don't give up power. I argue it was a manipulation. That was one of the early psyops to go, okay, we're going to convince them that they have control. And, you know, really we gain more control over their lives. Like, what are your thoughts on that possible idea? Uh, it's possible that it worked out like that, but the, the gist of rebellion around the world has been put down by freedom-loving America and the Anglo-American establishment for a long time, right? So did it happen here? Yes, I think it happened here. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had the War of 1812. You wouldn't have had all these. And when they couldn't beat us militarily, they brought in a lot of economic, like if we can just get America indebted to our, you know, our situation, right? Yeah. So going to your question of democracy, Biden used that a whole lot in his uh, red background speech the other night. But we're a constitutional republic. A democracy is a majority thing, majority rule. Two wolves and a sheep decide who's for dinner. Constitutional republic, a single person cannot lose their rights even if uh, to the majority, right? So it's a different, more like cerebral structure. And if it could have been enforced, that'd be great because a lot of the problems that people saddle on America in this case are created because of things extra constitutional outside the bounds of government, but people have become like the department of education, for instance, like the whole, it's not education, it's schooling and schooling is indoctrination. It's the opposite of learning where you ask questions and find answers. They already have the answers. They just want you to know the answers and pass the test and move through. So you can be an interchangeable cog in their machine. Mm -hmm. So there's the, the foundational part, which is people don't know their rights. They might think they're in a democracy where other people can change their rights and these sort of things. Right. Uh, and once you get the knowledge of your freedom, how far it goes, where it ends, where other people's freedom begins, then you layer on like critical thinking, creative problem solving, which, again, is not being taught through schooling. It's quite the opposite what they teach. They teach stimulus reaction without thinking in between. They want obedience to authority. So it's right. that, uh, you know, stimulus reaction is slavery. But if you spread them apart and put in questioning and thinking, removing of contradictions, then you can have thoughtful responses. You're no longer in, under control. So there's a lot of layers that have built up over time, like sedimentary layers you can picture that build up over time in the mind of the American population based on a lot of things that aren't true. So once you can strip away the things that aren't true and give them back a method to find out what is true, then we stand our ground a lot better. But, but you're right. The globalists are using marketing and propaganda, selective information, censorship, bullying, peer pressure, whole bunch of techniques and tactics to shoehorn the global population into an artificial great reset where it's carbon neutral and green and 
all you know everyone's rights and diversity or respect all this other stuff it's like a utopia only it's like a dystopia in reality that right. they're trying to create and that can only be done in the absence of other choices that would be freedom it's it can only be done in the absence of informed consent because that would be freedom right so when they're taking free will and informed consent and these sort of things out of the process and having a predetermined end, like using the Delphi technique to run the town meetings in the first place to give agenda 21 its birth. Mm -hmm. uh, they've just advanced on those techniques. So the answer comes back to the individual has to take responsibility. It's caveat emptor buyer beware. We should be very critical and question everything that these OB like these authorities or people who present themselves as authorities or the non-elected rulers are saying, Yeah, absolutely. which is something that you do uh, quite well. I I hundred percent agree with that. I guess one not I mean the last part I meant what you said before. <laughs> like yes, I do it quite well. No, the point that that I, like I guess what I was really asking was previous to this, like going back hundreds of years, like to the the the, the very first transition away from like a monarchy kind of idea to where the people had some semblance of of input in the absolute ruling to them, you know what I mean? Like that transition. Now we'd have to go back to it again because I'm sure there's a lot to talk about there, but I just wanted your thoughts on whether you think that that's an early example of the kind of great reset push we're making that, you know, that we're, they're convincing us we need this and we really don't have a choice and it makes it, you know, we're being pushed into a technocratic panopticon under the idea that it's free. It's, you know, green and sustainable and none of those things are true. So did we have one of those moments all the way back then to stop, you know, like I would argue the people were rising up. People were pushing back, even in a time like that. You know, we don't, we can't feed ourselves. We're starving to death. People are going to mob the castle. Okay. So they go, what can we do? How can we convince them that they're in control? You know, so that's kind of what I'm Creation of government as we know it in the modern day sense. So like uh, French revolution, people brought out guillotines, thousands of people died, but the French people never took control of their government. Another group that was fomenting revolution stepped into that power vacuum. Right. right? So there's there's been events where this has happened over history, but is there a time when it happened and the people actually got in control? I think Not. the opposite. I think I think we were convinced that we did have control at a time we never really did, and we're seeing that happen again. But I, I think that what it, what we need to realize today is that we're we're being driven into the same position. And before we get into the Great Reset, which I do want to talk about, you mentioned something about voting. That I think is, is, you know, and really I did before I even say that, I wanted to give a shout out to your analogy. I really do love the analogy of talking about, you know, when you remove like that, there's no defenses, right? When you allow, when you censor everybody, there's no, they're basically allowed to bomb propaganda and there's no defenses. It's really, it gives a really clear picture of what's happening today. It's warfare for it sure. Really, it really is. And so as we lead into the elections and even, even to the next presidential election, like you mentioned something about not voting and I wanted your thoughts on whether I see, I tend to see someone as informed as you who is making a conscious choice to do that. That's not not voting. Your vote is abstaining. That's how I look at it. You're right. abstention, which is a valid choice. We just have a bit like during nullification been convinced it doesn't exist. So I wanted your thoughts on that. All right. So um, the voting, I thought it was a great privilege when I was 18 and I got to vote and I voted for HW Bush. And that was not something I was proud of in hindsight. And I got a chance to vote again, and I voted for W. Bush in 2000. And again, I was not proud of that decision. In 2004, it was Skull and Bones versus Skull and Bones. It was John Kerry versus George W. Bush. And I knew too much at that point. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be watching CNN, and I saw this guy on there who's a libertarian candidate for president of these United States. His name was Michael Badnarik. He passed away last month, sadly. 
He's a brilliant orator. And what he explained in his his speech, his campaign speech, was the difference between rights and privileges and the constitutionality uh, aspect that had been lost over time. And if it wasn't good and solid, they wouldn't have had to attack it in these ways to undermine it, these sort of things. And what I realized was my vote is not being counted the way I thought it was. Like I thought I was steering the car with my vote, but really I'm a kid in the back seat with a steering wheel. It doesn't connect to, it doesn't have anything to do with the steering of the car. Mm -hmm. Right now I found out later that was a Lee camp joke. I mean, uh, so I talked to Lee, he's like, Hey, that was one of my jokes. So I I apologized to him for using his metaphor over and over, but I think it does ring true long time because the electoral college, I looked in my state, it's all picked friends of the governor. Right. So like I vote and then the electoral college is like, we'll see about your vote. We're really going to vote on your behalf. And I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, it's a it's it's a game that I really don't have a lot of influence in. Uh, it's like a lottery or something. So I don't I don't participate in that type of chance. Yeah. So and real yeah. quick, I would add that that has been on The Simpsons for a long time. The joke of Maggie driving the wheel and not being in charge of the car. Just to be clear. Is that All right. Good, good, good. Yeah. Somebody could have a, an ownership of that analogy, but, <laughs> but fair enough. But I, I think that's exactly how, it, how we need to see it. You know, it doesn't stop the driver from going, oh, okay, we can turn right. You know, I can see that you want to turn right. So it still may happen. You may feel like you're guiding it. But the truth is it's, you know, like the Electoral College example of that is important because there is even a valid argument to be made for why the Electoral College in an honest system may have a value. But right. as it works I today, agree with that. they could choose to. Go ahead. Go elaborate. I, I well, I would say that the Electoral College is brilliant in its conception and it does have value because it balances the votes of the urban urban city dwellers with the people who are farming out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Right. However, the selection of those uh, electoral candidates, uh, you know, electoral voters, that's something where it seems to be cronyism, cartel capitalism. Right. If, if, if capitalism was so bad, why would they have to make cartel capitalism and do all these things to corrupt it? Right. So fascism is the uniting of the corporations with the state. I think it's only a 20th century idea because in 1800s, corporations didn't have personhood. Mm -hmm. So it's only through Union Pacific Railroad and Santa Clara uh, County in like 1896 that corporations allegedly got their personhood. So in the 20th century, the merger of those powerful robber barons with government, that's basically Godfather three. I mean, so. The non-elected rulers are not there because they have merit. They're there because they're the most cunning and ruthless and willing to, you know, uh, Gary Webb somebody or Michael Hastings somebody or any other any of the other unfortunate accidents. Danny Casalero people, you know, there's a there's a lot of those in our uh, 20th century history. And well, this brings us into actually before we, I, this, we're yeah. going to jump in next to the, the great reset point of this. But I, I want I just want to add the final end of the the voting discussion i recommend people look into the idea of abstention and understand that it is a valid choice that existed at you know right there with the founding fathers right there are people that would abstain because they didn't agree with the choice they didn't agree with the choices that were given they didn't agree feel that it was a fair vote in the first place there's a lot of different reasons to do so you know and so choosing to abstain which is not voting as an informed individual is a valid choice today so don't let them convince you that that is you know not voting or not caring but I wanted to talk about the idea of the fascist discussion there, because as we can see this changing, they've just rebranded that as public-private partnerships, right? I mean, that's literally what we're talking about. This, you know, you could argue that there's a, a again a, a a use for that in an honest situation, but they're clearly just using this kind of shell game where yeah. you have corporations that are now 
being, you know, being protected by the government. And in reverse, you got the government that's not accountable because of the partnership with this public group. And it's just they play it however they want. So give me your thoughts on that. And we can dive into where this all is going with COVID and the Great Reset. And it's it's very clearly building out right now. Let me see if I can blow your mind. Let's see. <laughs> I'd love that. World Economic Forum's book on building an international institution for public-private cooperation. All right, so this is a, a 40-year one. It's one of the books that celebrates their multiple decades. So you have a young Klaus, and then it gets into like uh, pictures of all the world leaders around the world over decades. Oh, it's John Kerry. There's Al Gore, right? All the people you think are president and stuff, they're in on an internationalist plan. And this plan's been going on since 1971, and this is just one of the artifacts. But it just goes to show, like, uh, you know, whether it's the Pope or it's Putin or, you know, it's uh, Merkel, they're all down with Klaus. And Klaus might have had some inspiration from his friend Maurice Strong, who was a, uh, a front businessman for Edmund, Edmund de Rothschild back in the 80s, Momo Strong. Maurice Strong, Corbett did a great bit on Maurice Strong. So if you don't know, I think it's called Maurice Strong is Dead. So that would give you the history. The same guys that Maurice Strong is working with, they came up with the Agenda 21 idea. Here's that book. Uh, back in the 90s, uh, and you can watch it on video. Like there's, there's video of these conferences. And then they brought it to 1992 Rio conference, and then they call it the Earth Summit. Um, but I want to take your audience back even further. Let's go back to um, Limits to Growth a report for the club of Rome's project on the predicament of mankind. Okay. Now that book stirred up a lot of public fervor, but if I can find this other document here for you, while you're looking, I'll include this in the show notes. Here's Corbett's, uh, Maury strong is dead link. I'll include that for everyone to check out. Does yeah, have the, some best work on a lot. Of I don't have the other document here, but it's called, it's called the club of Rome's predicament of mankind. So they wrote this book based on a paper. And you can download the paper. It's 1970, Predicament of Mankind. And in there, at the end, as solutions for the predicament of mankind, they want to create a world forum. And the next year, they create the World Economic Forum. Specifically, the Club of Rome, Aurelio Pache, helps Klaus Schwab create the, uh, the World Economic Forum. So it's based on this limits to growth. Uh, it's a... Uh, pretension of overpopulation, overconsumption. So it holds up ideas of depopulation, eugenics, carbon neutral, all these various cloaks on that agenda. Uh, And that that goes on in the early 70s. World Economic Forum starts to form. And then I have also, this is the 40-year history. So if you wanted to see how they shape history over the first 40 years, you could get a book like that. But we're going to go to this book, The First Global Revolution, a report by the Council of the Club of Rome. This is from 1992. And in this book, they say specifically that the common enemy of humanity is a man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. So this is something they wrote in 1992. We want to control the everything of planet Earth. What can we say is the reason they made it up. And then they said, the real enemy then is humanity itself. So these people have stated in their own writing that they think we are the enemy and they're going to control us with the Great Reset. But wait, there's more. They did a 30-year follow-up to limits the growth. This is from the early 2000s, I think around 2002. And then with that, you're you're brought into Klaus Schwab's Fourth Industrial Revolution. 
And if you were to go to the back of this book, there's an appendix right here. It's called Deep Shift. And I think we're all in a lot of deep shift with Klaus because we haven't been reading his books. Talking about implantable technologies that should be in people by 2024, 2025. So they have stated agendas of cybernetics and transhumanism. Like this is a whole Internet of people. See all these little Wi-Fi? This is the Internet of people that he's drawing out. Now, he was really serious about this idea. And he wrote this book, Shaping of the Future of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Just in case you didn't get it from the first book, he wrote a second one. And then even more famously, he wrote this. As soon as COVID started, he's like, hey, we got a plan. It's called The Great Reset. They have since uh, updated it. It's called the, the Great Narrative. And my reference would be they did a great narrative conference in Dubai right before the World Government Summit. That's right. They have a World Government Summit. Maybe you should go watch those videos, too. And uh, so the narrative is to be able to use these emergencies to amend our biology, to take command and control of us and make a track trace database society, like Burma says, uh, to control human beings forever and to eradicate freedom from our human beingness, which I think is a, a big deal. So that's a long story short on Klaus Schwab and uh, Johnny Vedmore's got a three great articles going into who is Schwab, what's his background, uh, how did Kissinger groom him uh, all the way up to the present. And uh, he's going to be a guest this week on Grand Theft World podcast. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's so important that this it's what's crazy about this is what Corbett was just pointing out the other day is it's, it's all it's all out there. There's entire books written about all this stuff sor- cited and, and sourced. And, and it's it just blows me away. I guess the first You're thing a conspiracy to, theorist, bro. Right. Right. I guess the first thing I wanted your opinion on in that exact point is the idea of depopulation. So yeah. there's a couple ways you could look at this. I mean, obviously, I mean, just the fact that you the, what you just showed right there. You know, it does make me think like I, my thought process around this over the last just during COVID and everything else has been, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm not sold on the idea that that's as simple as people make it out to be. Well, of course, they just want to get rid of us. I just wonder how that plays in. But that kind of stuff shows very clearly that there's some thought around that. So I'm wondering whether that is what's being put out there for us to think that or if that is how they actually think. And I want your thoughts on that, because what how does it make sense to get rid of the people that are the chattel, the use, the, the, the workers, the you know what I'm saying? Like maybe there's just, we don't need as many. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Have you seen the robots? Yeah. Good point. Good point. That's why. All right, so to- let's go back in history. So that's a good question. The Internet's very confusing. Current events are very confusing. What's going on? Let's go back in history. What is the eugenics movement of the early 20th century and who supported it? Right. So you have a bunch of robber baron family families like the Harriman family at Cold Spring Harbor that bring a lot of these ideas to fruition. Now, the Harriman family, they were funding the Soviets and the Nazis. And uh, I featured this book last week in the episode, The Two Faces of George Bush. Someone said it was there was one copy available on Amazon for 45000 And I told my wife, and she's like, I found a copy for less than 100 bucks. So we tore this book apart last week. We've got it all. So the Harrimans, the p- same people that were into eugenics, were also funding the communist experiment and the fascist experiment, the national socialist experiment in uh, Germany and Italy. Right? So... Same group of people using the right and the left, playing with other countries, playing with millions and millions of lives, right? Well, so that eugenics development that they very much wanted to have experiments done that they couldn't do here in America, so they had their good buddy Hitler do them, Mm. right? But after the war, eugenics has a bad name. All those Nazis are bad. So the Rockefellers and the other robber baron families that wanted to pursue this, they had to change the words. Have you have you seen them changing the syntax of words lately? Mm-hmm. They changed the words back then. So eugenics is out, sterilization's out, 
you know, getting rid of the feeble-minded, uh, you know, extermination that's out. We'll call it uh, genetic uh, study, uh, molecular engineering. They came up with a couple, couple different terms. Now, that's a big claim. You should be skeptical of that. My reference is uh, a book by MIT professor, Dr. Lily Kay. She also passed away a couple years ago. The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, Rockefeller, and the New Biology. She spells it out at academic PhD level for you. Like, so it's a real thing and it's not a, it's not a hypothesis from there. Now the whole thing's open for, we got to crack the genome. Uh, we have to be able to amend it, right? They can gene edit, but really they can just cut it. They can't so much bring other stuff in so easily. Right. And that's why you need Ralph Barrick and Wuhan and eco health and Peter Daszak to be cutting edge on g- gene therapies, which is what takes us back to the MRNA uh, concoction that they gave people for the past couple years because that was a DARPA licensed product to Moderna in 2013. They got funding. It's all in the SEC paperwork. People won't read about it. So you got to tell them about it on Twitter until you get banned. Right. And uh, yeah, it's going to continue going on until people step back and not only have the question, but know how to go and look for an answer and know what a, a fact looks like. Right, right. Or just have the, the discernment to be able to question whether they are being given facts or, you know, in, from the sources they're being taken from. But so what, what Whitney's pointed out in her research, which I think is the to make it clear, you know, the intention you could question, you always should. But the action is undeniable. All you have to look at is the eugenics institute i think becoming the galton institute i mean they just, there's exactly what you're talking about they changed the name because they know that those words are now taboo it doesn't change what they were doing and that's directly involved with the current covid19 agenda and the injections you know it's very interesting now that happened here in america but let's look at britain because a lot of people in britain were supportive of hitler including the king who had to step down including prince philip who just passed away a couple years ago right so there is that element over there and they kept the eugenics name because julian huxley was in charge of the world eugenics uh foundation and unesco for the united nations united nations educational Mm -hmm. uh, i forget what the rest of unesco starts but he's in charge of both those groups so eugenics was a real idea and the way to get eugenics into the future was by controlling the education from the un down and that brings about common core decades and decades later. But um, and another point on the depopulation was up until the early 2000s, it was the Bill and Melinda Gates Center for Depopulation. Like, have you seen a clip where the woman introduces them? Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a depopulation agenda that became like aware that there was a PR problem. Then they call it the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But his dad was all up into eugenics and uh as Darwin said, survival of the favored races, right? Institutionalized racism. I'd go back to Darwin. Have you read the, have you read the subtitle of his, of his book? It, it's all about preservation of the favored races, which is a very racist idea. And it didn't originate anywhere near America. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Which is very interesting. And that, that paints the picture of how it ties back to a, you know, whether it was behind the scenes then, but it clearly is now a kind of ruling technocratic elitists structure where they're not being elected. They're not, and it just passes. And, and this potentially could be family lines. I mean, I do think that's where this originates from is the idea that they believe they have some kind of divine right to rule over the people underneath them. And again, that's kind of my mindset of taking it all the way back to like the monarch idea that never really went away. They just convinced us that it did. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea. But this this very clearly we see this building out right now around us. And I think there's a lot of important information that's 
it, I mean, one of the things I think that's happening right now is we kind of we'll talk, we can talk about COVID for a minute before we get to it is the way that they're almost breaking down the logic before we even get into the real meat of what they're pushing out. Like that's it's all building. People like us can see it, but a lot of these people that are like, "Hey, COVID is over," they don't have any idea what is building around them right now. You know, and it's they want to dumb you down to a point to where you are less questioning and more willing to take what you're given than ever before in history. Before you comment on that. I thought this would be an, I want you to see this clip that I just uh, found, which really does just blow me away. You have these people out there today that are so completely taken by this agenda. I just forgot to download it. Here it is right here that they're, that they are saying things like this. I just, I can't even believe people like this exist. Oops, wrong button. Well, let's start with you. It's become clear that the message from the provincial government is we're all getting back to normal now, folks. So let's start there. Are we back? First of all, wearing a mask on a right. podcast <laughs> yeah. alone in a room, but to normal yet. No. So the language that you use when you say something like uh, normal is a far right um, language of anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers and ableists who uh, disregard the impact of COVID on on seniors, on children, on educators, on essential workers, on healthcare workers, on our healthcare crisis. Uh, there's nothing normal about getting COVID, repeated infections, children and adults being hospitalized, and long COVID. There's nothing normal about taking away the protections and the proactive measures that we had to help to reduce transmission of COVID. And there's nothing normal about uh, getting rid of any kind of isolation requirements, which would have helped to curtail outbreaks in schools, in workplaces and everywhere else that you go. Okay, let me do a quick follow up with you. And I mean, no disrespect in asking this, but we've obviously. Do you want to comment? No, I, I was just like, what's this guy going to say? Because already I can make a three-hour show out of what she just said. No, I mean, well, just from the rattling off of things that have been like just long COVID as an example, like all these things that are not, I mean, it's, even if you believe that's a thing, it has not been proven to exist. They're still debating how and the three different possibilities and it, these people are completely convinced that it's the reality. But just the fact that she first talks about normal as an alt, as a far right, the yeah. word normal I mean, yeah. how? I mean, think about the. How do you get there? You know, how do you turn the most normal thing, the word "normal," into a? I just it blows me away. Well, first off, the funniest thing he could have said as a retort, as a non-serious thing, would have been, "I'm sorry, could you say that again? It was hard to hear you." Yeah, <laughs> probably would have exploded. Her head would have exploded. Well, it sounds like she's struggling for her breath with that mask on, and that her cadence of talking definitely has to be different because she has that mask on. And, uh, you know, any number of things like the social distancing was made up in the first place. Right. And so there's a whole lot of untruths that she's speaking. And I could uh, if you had a transcript, this is what I would recommend. You get a transcript, you go line by line and then you could see, oh, there was one true sentence and a bunch of, you know, through a crazy funhouse mirror lens perspectives. You discard those as arbitrary. You take what's useful with you and you don't take that person as an authority, but without a filtering system to kind of like, or de- a decoder, like a codec to unpack what she's saying and be like, Oh, there's a couple of pieces of truth in there, but most of it is just propaganda to keep people scared because if the vaccines work so well, why are so many people sick? If the masks work so well, why are so many people over there sick that she's dealing with? Right. I know tons of people who didn't have the vaccine. I mean, you know, the experimental gene therapy that they offered, right? And nobody, like, I don't know anyone that's had ill COVID effects of any sort. So, yeah, there's something to, like, having an immune system, vitamin D, a good attitude, 
good food in your system and not being in fear all the time from the boob tube. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Merck, uh, I think it was the CEO or one of the high level people said that, by the way, as I'm sure you saw there, this was 2021, I believe, where he said, I'm surprised they took gene therapy because we all knew that would be hard to push. And like he just said this during COVID-19, they all, it's not hard. As you said, you can look back and see that they called it that too. Like it's just about being willing to look beyond the COVID narrative as it currently is. Well, just look at what Borla said last or two weeks ago, he's quadruple jabbed and he's got COVID and he's taking Paxlovid. Which right. again was tested on like eight mice or something. I don't know. Like By these way, people are not. It doesn't work. I mean, they, they just came care out about us. Their own study found that under sixty fives have no benefit from Paxlovid. I mean, I just, it's it's the silliest thing in the world. But the the thing for me here is that the fact that she, here his question is just like a like a softball starting question. Like, so are we getting back to normal or what? You know, it's like he didn't yeah. imply that they're saying we are back to normal or that right. they're saying this is normal. So she just lost it and went like, "That's far right language," because. This isn't normal. It's not even what he asked. You know what right. I mean? So it's just you wonder whether something like this is her. Just I I I can't get past the idea that the word normal is far right. And then let's talk about that afterward. The far right kind of how that's even happening. Let's let's see his, his response here. Okay, let me do a quick follow up with you. And I mean no disrespect in asking this, but we've obviously done hundreds of programs during the course of COVID nineteen, and I don't think we've ever had a guest who kept their mask on during the interview. So again, with without prejudice, I merely ask, how come you're wearing yours now? So let me explain. So I'm a doctor. I'm a family doctor. I see patients in my office. I just had patients who are in my office with their babies, and I have more patients coming in this afternoon. COVID is airborne. That means that COVID remains in the air even after you've left the room. I keep my mask on. It is a way to protect myself. It's a way to protect my patients. It's a way to protect my staff and the community. It is what Healthcare providers across the world are saying that we should be doing, and it's really not a hardship. I wear my mask from the moment that I arrive in my office in the morning until the end of the day. Wow. It's a simple, safe, effective measure. Gotcha. Okay. Dr. Which is ridiculously untrue, by the way. I mean, you know this. I mean, it's just staggering to me. What are your thoughts on that? I think the only legitimate reason to be wearing the mask all day, as she does, is first off, I want to point out, it seems like she's well-intentioned. She's trying not to get her patients sick. She comes right. into contact with a lot of people. Okay, great. And then the reason that you would wear it all day and not touch it is the donning and doffing of a mask. Like if you're touching it all the time, you defeat the purpose. So if she puts it on and she doesn't touch her face the whole day, that good for her. Good for her. I still don't think you're preventing transmission with that. I don't think asymptomatic anything was going on. I can list 50 things they lied to us about. I don't know why you believe them so much on the mask, except that's something cheap and easy you can do that's a show of you're obeying the authorities that change every two days. It seems like fear to me too. I mean, or she just the narrative and being, you know, virtue signaling that I'm with the good one that I'm doing the right she's thing. She's a doctor. So she's smarter than us, dude. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, clearly. I mean, just, I mean, I, I shouldn't assume, but she does not seem like a bright person to me just by obviously being incorrect about all of this. But the one, the, I, this is one that I keep showing because it's important, but there, as you know, there's an endless amount of peer reviewed research of which this is one that show you that this is not safe. It has not stopped transmission. I mean, the, the way to say it is <clears throat> not uh, statistically significant in reducing transmission, no matter what you're wearing. This is called the Fogan effect. And this is a mechanism by which face masks contribute to the COVID-19 case fatality rate, not just getting you more sick, but fatality rate. And this was February 18, 2022. It says these findings suggest that mask use might pose a yet unknown threat to the user instead of protecting them. 
And it says right here, the, it's called the Fogan effect. And that is where deep re-inhalation of hyper-condensed droplets or pure virons caught in the face mask as droplets can worsen prognosis and might be linked to long-term effects of COVID. So really what you're doing is causing long COVID, what you're calling it, and it's really what you're doing to yourself in some ways. I argue there's more going on than just that, like vaccine side effects being called long COVID. But here's the final point. And first, this one, another salient point is that COVID-19 related long-term effects and multi even MISC, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, may all be direct causes of this effect. Then it says better use of using N95s and so on, uh, it says could may cause a stronger Fogan effect because of the the reason that it causes more things to break off and spread. Yeah. I mean, it's just so crazy. And, and the, idea, the idea that it's airborne, I mean, it's, these people have lost their minds. Well, the microplastic inhalation, there's a whole bunch of other things people aren't considering. Yeah, and right. also, like, uh, COVID's not a thing anymore. I mean, the first two strains were a thing, but after that, it turned into, like, a flu that everyone got and got better. I still argue it was like that to begin with. Well, other thing about the, the Fogan effect, I wrote that down because I want to learn more about that. Um, medicine's supposed to be, like, the physics of the body, the physics of life, Right. Where else in physics do you take your air intake and hook it directly to the air exhaust and like make it, you know, a closed circuit? Because that's what those heavier masks do. Like you're, you're, you know, so you're not getting full inhalations or exhalations. It probably does have something to do with the ability, the ability to think your way out of problems and to problem solve. And that's not a good situation for a doctor to be in just because they don't know how to otherwise apply a therapeutic or a treatment for such ailments. Well, here, here's what since we're talking about it, my audience is well well aware of this. Here's the other part of this. To yeah, remember. and thank you, Rockfin, for letting us talk about these things without fear of being censored. Right, right, exactly. That's why that's why Moving Target is on Rockfin exclusively. But so here here is the, uh, the, the I've been showing this since I think 2020. The only one time it got mentioned was on Tucker, and he weirdly said it was from 2018. I'm not sure why, but it's a British medical journal, uh, random controlled trial done in 2015. Uh, and this is a random cluster trial of cloth masks. And the main finding here is if you can read the, the results in general, showing you that the cloth masks have the highest rates of illness, but it simply finds that moisture retention and reuse of these may, may increase your risk of infection and that they should not be recommended. And it's amazing that this was the primary focal point of cloth masks being what everybody should use. So we know that it increased your risk of infection. We know the Fogan effect increases the risk of mortality and all these different things. And yet they're still being put on kids. They're still being worn. I mean, it's just mind it, it, it baffles me that we're in a position where people screaming, trust the science are literally ignoring the scientific research at the very least the highest gold standard level, like random controlled trials peer reviewed and pointing at some two week long CDC observational study to be like, see, we, we, we knew they saved everybody's lives. And even that finding is like hard to do. You know, it's, it's amazing to me. Yeah, I have trouble trusting the the WHO or the CDC or those groups because I've looked into the history and evolution of their institutions and who they take their funding from. And if you're supposed to be the watchdog on a group of people and you take funding from that group of people, I think you have a conflict of interest that may or may not be declared, but it is certainly substantial and meaningful. And then it should be weighed on the scales when people are like, oh, you you're gonna, oh, you got the Pfizer shot? Yeah, they're just like the biggest criminal cartel in history, $10 billion in fines, but I trust them with my health and my family. No, but people don't look at that. They say brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. And they're uh, hypnotically led to like, get the, go get the thing. All right. I don't know if you saw this. Steve Kirch has put out this this uh, article. It's actually a, a leaked information that came from in August. That's what's crazy how slowly like this right. stuff's out there. And the corporate media is just willfully ignoring this stuff. 
proof that Israel found not only had found serious side effects, but went out of their way to cover it up to make sure people didn't see it. I mean, this is the whole thing's falling apart right in front of them. You know, it's 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 really just the, 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 the few. And I do think it's the minority. Give me your thoughts on whether you think that's the case that are holding on desperately. And that's what they need. But I, I think most people see through this. That's why the boosters fail, fell off. Well, really, really. I think so, too, because when Moderna's CEO is complaining, they have to ditch. Right. The- tens of millions of vaccines that they thought they had customers for, but they actually don't. Cause people realize it's like yep. the average mortality of COVID is over the average life expectancy of human beings. And there are therapeutics. I mean, they came out yesterday. They're like, Hey, vitamin D works. Oh, thanks. We've been telling people that for two years and doctors have been telling people, but that wasn't mentioned on mainstream media. They wanted you to think only about the synthetic gene therapy. Well, and it's also, this is a crazy one that I, I couldn't believe. This is the, exactly the kind of, m- mania we saw during all this here's georgia and this was a a january 2021 where they a court orders georgia defendants to stop selling vitamin d products as treatments for covid and other diseases like it's it's like that's been common knowledge for as long even fauci recommended that like pre-covid like right before and yet they just no vitamin d bad because we're obsessed with the covid narrative you know it's this 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 is one of the easiest ways to to see that whether or not it's a all-encompassing massive conspiracy that everyone's involved in or just that they've set these markers or these levers and you know people are under the control whether they realize it or not it's obviously working a lockstep kind of agenda where it's that's you can moments ago be selling that and then say nope now it's illegal because they changed their mind today well the conspiracy aspect is interesting because like i've heard like tim pool say well there's not a group of people with mustaches twisting them and coming up with this world domination it's like no they sit in a well-lit room in davos and they make decisions like that um yeah i I put my comment on that actually i feel like that's really interesting to me that the idea that that's not the case yeah why i mean so it's about the the evil mustache you know it's like trying to say as a caricature tim Tim has a cartoon in his head and he's like, Oh, it's not that. No, it's something a lot more detailed, nuanced and realistic with evidence. If you look at it. Right. And, right. Well, those and people- while they might not control everything in the narrative, I knew from like January, just seeing uh, a couple things, one of which was a Whitney Webb article, but I was like, there was too many, co- there was too many corporations that shouldn't have cooperated with each other. And they were all in lockstep. When they closed down Vegas and had the casinos just like, boom, I was like, this is planned. And these people were given a notice ahead of time that this was going to happen because they're not panicked. They're following in lockstep and obediently just closing down because they knew it would trickle down to the rest of us a lot harder. So from the event 201 and Crimson Contagion and SPARS pandemic, all that sort of uh, pre-event exercise, the uh, lockstep Rockefeller document, all that sort of like planning. And then positioning of the technology. If you look at the Milken Institute had that uh, that gig with the Rick uh, from BARDA and Fauci on stage, and they were talking about mRNA, and they said, hey, look, right now we grow the vaccines in chicken eggs, and it takes too long, but we have this new mRNA technology. We'd really like to use it, but uh, there's too much bureaucracy and red tape. But only if only we had an emergency where we could have this happen. It's like when they had the Lusitania. Like, if only the Lusitania was sunk by Germany and then magically it happened and America got into the war soon thereafter or right around that time. Uh, it also had to play with the Balfour Declaration in that case. But um, so the the things found out in the exercises ahead of time, they knew there were going to be a shortage of masks and all this other stuff, distribution, supply chain, disruptions. They didn't do anything to prevent it. They did everything to capitalize from the things they knew would go wrong and to scare people even more with it. And, you know, now you've got a lot more Fauci versus Fauci tapes, but like 
that man contradicts himself a lot over the years. Oh, right. if you've already had the flu, you don't need the flu vaccine. It's much better having antibodies. But that goes out the window. And it's because people have a short attention span these days. So they don't well, remember five change. years, 10 years, 20 years ago to be like, wait a minute. They said this with uh, the first SARS. Right. This, this is the ridiculousness of saying when they want to that it's settled and then go. Oh, but science always evolves, though. It's like you can't say both those things simultaneously, but they take whatever they're given. And that's that speaks to that woman in the beginning. They just it's not they, they've been convinced that listening to their betters is being intelligent, is research. That's what yeah. I believe. And the other aspect with the, the Tim Pool caricature of things is like I'm not saying Fauci and Collins got together and said, let's go do this thing. But. When they were funding gain-of-function experiments in Wuhan with EcoHealth and Peter Daszak, mm. and that stuff either was released purposely or got out, right? Because Daszak's proposal, the, uh, so DARPA had Project Diffuse or Preempt, and uh, EcoHealth offered pro like a, a grant request for, I think it was called Diffuse. It wasn't to create a coronavirus like uh, COVID-19. What it was was to create an aerosolized coronavirus vaccine to spray into bat caves and inoculate the bats with aerosolized mRNA. Now, if you go to PubMed and you type in aerosol plus mRNA, you'll see that they've been trying to make inhalable vaccines for a long time. And now there apparently is an inhalable vaccine in China that they just like announced last week, right? That thing itself could be the thing from the lab. So there's something that starts the effect, but the treatment for it is likely something that came from that lab as well. Because, you know, you make a, a bioweapon, you have to have an antidote for it, right? right. Was there an attempt to give some people the antidote and to corrupt other people's health? You know, there's, there's a lot there's of questions about what they did. And that's all provable information you're talking about. And that's the thing is we're not claiming we know exactly how these dots connect. There's a lot of possibilities there, but you can't ignore that and show that they're like, for example, this is one that I was just talking about here. Here is this is this is a document from uh, this is this was Ralph Barrett from University of North Carolina. And here's some research of what they were working on. I just was just talking about this coronavirus induced myocarditis in rabbits. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so, so this is there. And so the question needs to become, do, did, was this an accident? Was this them testing it that then got accidentally released? Was it meant to be, you know, like there's all these possibilities and, and maybe this was an accident or maybe it was an experiment on the population. But the fact that we can't even talk about that says a lot, you know, and then we get the people acting like they didn't conspire. Well, of course, history has shown you that that's very possible. Like, look at Ukraine. We're going to pretend that there wasn't a CIA discussion about how to create that situation. That's literally maybe they don't have mustaches, but it's the same thing. <laughs> that's exactly the point. So the official story went from wet market to, well, accidental lab leak. Right. But I think in reality, because I, I would say in order to reach the last step of the conclusion, you need to go get more information. So my questions right. would be when this happened, how did the people in power act? Did they act scared and they didn't know what was going on? And, you know, were they moving fast to try to, like, assemble all forces to stop this thing? Or did they just sit back and let it burn like they're doing a big insurance fraud? Right. So when Fauci and Collins to the point of, like, are they evil? No, I think they were doing some corrupt stuff that you could classify as evil. And then in order to cover up what they did and not take the blame, they're like, oh, look, pangolin in the wet market or whatever the thing was. Right. Their fingerprints are all over it. Dazak, who would be my prime suspect to question in the whole thing, he was in charge of going to the lab on behalf of the United Nations to say it didn't come from the lab. 
So it's like take let the bank robber take the police into the bank and show them how like there was no robbery. You guys are free to leave. Like it was just something you would not believe in a book. That's the difference between truth and fiction. The reality is something that doesn't necessarily make sense sometimes because in fiction it has to make sense. Otherwise, right. people won't read the story, right? I, so, I often ask that they, I argue that they do it like that so that it's people go, well, that they wouldn't do. They can, it would, you know, they they would choose to disregard it because it looks ridiculous, you know. Well, one of the cunning things that they like to do is with national security and censorship in general, if they can take a couple puzzle pieces out of the picture, then we have to hypothesize what's supposed to be there. And some people's hypotheses are like real jumps to conclusions. Then they can miscategorize and straw man the whole thing and say, well, that's not a topic even worth discussing anymore because people believe crazy stuff when there's really legitimate evidence there to be questioned. And it never does because of the negative stigma it gets. That's a great point. And we see that a lot. And there's two ways. People that I think are meant to do that and know they're meant to do that. And people that don't realize they're doing it and are still used regardless. People that like the QAnon kind of crowd that will make these leaping grasping connections that but they're still using valid points to begin from but those points then get dismissed because of their overarching discussion and it's that's an important thing to think about yeah like for instance the WikiLeaks right before trump got elected uh hillary clinton leaks uh D- democratic uh dnc leaks and in there is some information that people jumped to a conclusion and said crazy things about a pizza place now there is some legitimate evidence in there, but it does not match up to the hyperbolized straw man that eventually has nothing to do reality that people get hung out to dry with. Right. Exactly. But there is some stuff in there. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's, there's some. And, you know, the people's like, well, these symbols represent such and such. And I'm like, well, what's your evidence? The whole like the FBI said that in the FBI got it from Wikipedia and Wikipedia got it from the FBI. It's a circular. It's a tautology. Mm. So I also knew that that lingo that they associate might not be accurate although later in research i found out that a lot of that stuff is accurate absolutely but i my argument in that regard and the whole pizzagate topic was that 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 whole point of it was not uh it it was important but it didn't prove anything in and of itself that that was just supplementary to all the other things and it wasn't even the most important but you you can't read those and and walk away thinking this is a normal conversation but you can't assume that it is you don't know maybe it is and we're wrong maybe we're reading into it but it's quite obvious in my opinion that there was very weird coded language being used that could be any number of things but then you go to the things and this is where i focused on in the beginning things like laura silsby and the clintons and even chuck todd reporting on nbc that there was allegations of pedophilia at the state at the at the, at the state department and this all got kind of scrubbed but we remember laura silsby was caught trafficking children from haiti and this was a public discussion and the only reason they released her is because the u.s argued they were going to do, do something about it and nothing happened happened and clinton was personally responsible for getting you know that that, that's one of the earlier points in my opinion to where this all comes from then you could talk about that information and whether there's there you know it got as you said boiled down to clinton in a pizza pizza uh parlor basement and that's ridiculous not that there may there may not be more to that or there may have been something of the location there was a lot of weirdness around all of that that did was worthy of investigation and i think ben swan made that clear in his very objective very important research episode and then he got banned from new mainstream media for the rest of his life you know so but to your point though it's 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 very important that we don't let that happen in our work but even if we don't there are people out there that are doing it and i think that's the the entire point and i think that's a two-party paradigm well also and regarding to that uh, with respect to that topic there was the madeline mccann disappearance in spain Mm -hmm. Right. which is a really interesting case that may or may not fit with that uh that subject area and then i wanted i would bring up the points of H.W. Bush had call boys in the White House in 1989. It's a cover story on the Washington Times. 
uh, like maybe May 3rd or something, May 29th mm. or June of 1989. And it has the credit card receipt for the Cowboys who took a tour of uh, midnight tour of the White House, right? And then you might think, well, that's a blip on the radar. We don't know what to make of that. Well, you read that plus the Franklin cover-up plus, uh, you know, the finders. And then you go to George W. Bush having uh, a professional male prostitute in his press corps that visits the White House late at night, Jeff Gannon, who might have been some. There you go. Look at that. Yeah, this this is a really important article on T Lab that's been been there since. Actually, this was originally posted on November uh, 2015, but reposted. Six case studies that point to massive pedophilia rings at the highest levels of power, and it's very objective and it's very you know what we can prove. I mean, it is ridiculous how obvious and disgusting this stuff is. Not just that main article, but you know the, the Presidio military base and all these yes. different examples that are undeniable. You can't yeah. argue that a bunch of toddlers got STDs and act like it was all in their head, which is what they ultimately tried to argue. You know, it's it's just mind blowing. But th- this is an important conversation that it, um, we should almost do an entire show on because it's, it it does tie back to a lot of important stuff. We have the Epstein discussion. Which is incredible that this yeah. used to be like laughable, ridiculously dismissed stuff until Epstein was forced to be admitted to. And I argue it's because of work like yours and everybody out there that really focused on this. But now well, they- you got to say it's because Whitney well, making, that's point. making that making those points out there. And also, I would say Jimmy Savile before Epstein. Right. The British had a version of Epstein over there, too. Right. That right. got covered up by uh, 30 years by the BBC. They covered it up. And Mark Thompson, who was the uh Direct, director general of BBC uh, at the time, because I read the court because I was like, maybe I should give this guy the benefit of the doubt. And I did. And I read the court transcript and I was like, oh, this guy knowingly helped to cover, cover it up. And then he, that's what qualified him to be chairman or uh, CEO of the New York Times during the time of Pizzagate. So when New York Times comes out and squash that story, I was like, oh, did they even investigate this story or look at the things? And I was like, who's this guy that's running this thing? I was like, oh, he helped to cover up Jimmy Savile. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. There's something there to research. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. one of the most disgusting stories because of how obvious it really was. And this person never got held accountable, you know, and ab- definitely make sure this uh, you check out Whitney's book on this topic because she's been nailing this down for a long time. But it's just so insulting that we can have that still. And yet they still kind of snide smugly dismiss any topic around like pedophilia, human trafficking, even though this is exactly what we're talking about right now. You know, it's it's, it's incredible. When it threads really hard into the leftist Hollywood culture, too. And then you get into like the drag queen story time and stuff. And it's not too far from what they're already projecting and that they're about and that they protect. Yeah. Yeah. I do personally think that it's much more rooted in all sides of our government than just one versus the other personally. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of, well, uh, the two I named were Republicans. I I left Clinton out because he's too famous for his sex crimes with older people, but you know, I threw the bushes out there. Dennis Hastert is the, you know, second line. Yeah. When that happened, you know I mean? Former wrestling coach who got, you know, called out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's overwhelming. I mean, it, there's so much of this, but I, th- I forget how we even got into this point of it, but it's so, it's so very relevant to the larger discussion about what gets dismissed, what people don't talk about or what they're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. It becomes but, taboo. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think that th- this is a kind of a, 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 a large point of example for what everything, what's happening everywhere else. We have enough evidence to show you these injections are terrible for literally everybody possibly taking them. That's my opinion, but I think the evidence makes that undeniably clear. I'm not even taking that stance where it's like, well, you know, under 450 or, you know, some work here or some help there. I think these things are wildly damaging from across the board. The evidence shows that, but people just don't want to see it. You know, I think like- they're brought to you by the same people who poisoned you in the first place with their lab creation. 
Yep. Right. So like, why, you know, you just poison me, but you're going to give me the antidote. But does the antidote really work? Or is it the second part? That's like epoxy or something. You know, it's a it's an addition of two different things over two different times to have the effect. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, like the whole mRNA tech, it's all government driven. It's about gene editing in your body to get to your DNA. It's part of eugen- eugenics and de- depopulation. That's why it's like if I don't know about all this, all this other history. That's right. That I studied for years, then I'd be like, oh, maybe Pfizer's good. Maybe they love me. Maybe those smart scientists are over there working for free, not for profit, doing this thing because it's the best thing to do with their time. But that's not really how the world works. And I stopped being as naive as I was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's and, and still more and more every day, you know, getting more jaded, more pessimistic, to be honest, from my perspective. But I, See, I'm I, white pill. I'm optimistic because I also embrace the human capacity to learn anything that they need to at any given time to overcome obstacles and get into their future and, and still have freedom. Absolutely. I agree. So with if we bring back critical thinking and we teach people their rights and they know how to grow food on their property and they can make an offer to the world and keep the bills paid, that's a way to survive and, and keep freedom going. Cause I think freedom and entrepreneurism are tightly intermeshed and they don't want to see either survive. Absolutely agree. I, when I say pessimistic and jaded, I mean towards the government, you Informed. know, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, but, so, but I remember where we started. This is a good place to kind of to kind of end it on. And I, I think we should definitely reconnect and do more of a discussion about about some of the different things we poked into in the show. I feel I really enjoyed it. But the depopulation aspect, you know, and I think what a lot of the stuff that you pointed out today is, is you know, I've never I, I discussed it as if it was not happening or impossible. I definitely see all the evidence and I see that it is happening regardless to some degree. I just have wondered whether or not there's more to that. And it's not just about let's get rid of this much of the population. It probably is, man. What they're doing is almost terraforming this planet to uh, right. satiate even- some other life form. And if you look in the periodic yeah. table right below carbon and silicon, and I think these people want to transition out of biology and get into the some hardware oh, yeah. that they can upgrade and live infinitely. Transhumanism. Okay. It's a huge Darth part. Vader. Of it. Transhumanism is a huge part of, of the Great Reset and and techno, techno, technocracy in in general. But yeah, no, I, I definitely see that as being more like even eugenics was not just about like getting rid of anybody in front of them. It was about like you said, the feeble minded, the people with the bad genes. Well, and, there's positive and negative eugenics. Negative right. eugenics get rid of the people we don't like, sterilize them, get rid of the Irish. Right? These were all ideas. And then for like to their their own people, make the Ubermensch, make the Superman. Right. That's what Hitler is like. Oh, these guys got the people like they got the keys on how to make the perfect people. That's mm-hmm. what he was using it for. And then they're like, we'll take that when you're done. Thank you very much. And they're still trying to do that. And these yep. people who are out there that don't believe in God, but think they can find a God equation that they can be God, that they can live forever without understanding what life is in the first place. Right. The other thing we have going for us is they don't understand freedom, which is why they're trying to destroy it. And it gives us the advantage to ever be uh, be ever more creative and advanced the, the the periphery of freedom and they're always trying to catch up to us and you know you can go back to game theory and von neumann and john nash and these guys trying to write equations to control people forever good luck with that dude because you guys aren't there yet so as long as we use our own ability to think between stimulus and reaction and that thinking leads to a thoughtful response we have the edge and we can win but we need more people to start using their brains absolutely agree man i think it's a great place to leave it i think important conversation today man i really enjoy the way you see things and your critical thinking i think we need more of that everywhere anything you want to leave us with today in regard to you know new projects you have coming or social media links or anything you want to shout out to the the audience every sunday night i do the grand theft world 
podcast for six or seven hours with my buddies and we analyze and slice and dice the current events so you can have a coherent, cogent understanding of the week's events and move forward. Uh, also, I'm starting season eight of my autonomy training course. It's a 12-week training course to teach you what you should have learned in school to survive and thrive in the world. I help people who are smart get smarter with methods, techniques, uh, strategies, and uh, they get more traction. They can more readily attain their goals consistently. And uh, it's a lot more fun on the other side of the schooling handicap that uh, we inherited. So the, the course is at getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. And there's an obstacle course. And if you can make it through the obstacle course, the course could do you a lot of good. And if you can't make it through the obstacle course, you probably couldn't make it through the first lecture. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll make sure we include that. Make everyone can check it out. I think it's important that people engage with work like yours and, and you know, challenge themselves and, and think outside the box. I think we need more of that today. So thank you for being here, Richard. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.